Hi, we're Visible, the wireless company with nothing to hide. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not into you. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Talking About Podcast. I am your host, as always, Daniel Olinger, joined by Sean Kennedy. And Sean, we are joined by another very special guest today. It's Andrew Unterberger of the Rights to Ricky Sanchez. Uh, I guess I'll just say website, because, I mean, Mike and Spike handle the podcast. I know it's called the podcast and website. I mean, I don't know. AU, you got a distinction on that? Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, it, It's always weird to tell people that I write for a podcast. It doesn't really make a lot of intuitive <laughs> sense. Uh, I write for the blog for the podcast, uh, which has a bunch of other writers. Uh, and my section is called, if not Pickle Convey is two second rounders. Uh, Spike can never remember the name of it. I have trouble remembering it too sometimes. But uh, yeah, that, that, that's the deal there. I'm glad to have you on, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So guys... The Sixers lost to the Bucks last night, but, you know, definitely not the worst. It was very fun for two and a half quarters because the Bucks could not hit a shot to save their lives. Eventually, they got rolling. The Sixers, that Joel Embiid, and with Seth Curry going down late in the fourth, like, just basically ran out of offense despite a spirited comeback, which was capped off by a ridiculous Furk on three to send it to overtime. They eventually lost. Uh, Sean, first thoughts from the game last night. We, we were all having a great time getting our jokes off at Milwaukee's <laughs> expense for the first two quarters. Um, so that was really fun. Uh, the, the last two and almost a half quarters, uh, including overtime, not as fun. I, I think it was pretty clear they were gassed, and Doc Rivers mentioned that after the game. A lot of the shots that Tobias and company would normally hit just weren't falling. And that was, you know, they had the rested disadvantage. They were at the back end of a back-to-back um no joel who's a guy when things slow down in the guts of the game you can kind of turn to just to create um so they didn't have that option either uh you know overall it was disappointing in the moment but you can't be too discouraged by it they they played really well ben looked good against Giannis for the early part of the game which was something he hasn't really done previously um that's been one of the few tough matchups for him and but he looks really good um and hopefully the seth ankle injury isn't too serious that would you know that'd be a blow if he was out for any period of time but doc was optimistic that it wasn't too bad so all in all you know hurt in the moment but i I felt kind of good about how they played either of you can answer this on a scale of one to ten how lame do you think it is that Giannis sat down at the middle of the court after you know Giannis played great in the second half of the game he's I mean Giannis is incredible I mean, the big reason why Ben and Tobias struggled inside is that you get in there there's a 6'11 dude with a 7'5 wingspan just hovering near you and you can't move him either like he he's still really great but it was something I noticed of the whole Bucks team like they were standing up the entire second half which I'm all for getting hyped for your team they seemed a little too thrilled to be a, a Sixers team missing the front runner for MVP like it almost seemed like they couldn't believe they made that comeback. So I, I don't know. I just like, you know, great for the bucks that they, that they came through like that. They had a big uh, needed to win probably for them, but you, you, I think you guys get the gist of what I'm saying. Like, yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree with that. Um, I mean, look, 
who's to say we wouldn't be doing the same thing if we beat the the Bucks in Milwaukee without Giannis. I don't want to get too self-righteous about it, but it definitely felt like they were, they were feeling themselves a little bit too much after that one. I I mean, personally, like I remember like when we, uh, when we beat the Nets in Brooklyn without either Durant or Kyrie, like I was texting my neck, my Nets fan friend being like, Oh, we should have won that game by 20. Like, like I I was disappointed that we only won it by, you know, 14 or whatever. Uh, the fact that they needed overtime to beat us without Joel uh, and they only scored 31 points in the first half. And they just kind of looked miserable throughout the entire game, even though we, we were missing every shot in the fourth quarter and they couldn't capitalize on it. Like, yeah, I mean, it's a win. It's a, it's a big win against the first place team in the East. They, you're going to, you're, you're going to feel yourselves a little bit for it, but uh, the, the chest pounding and then the sitting on the, on the logo, it was a little much. Uh, I'm sure the guys noticed and I'm sure we will not have heard the last of that. Uh, but yeah, good for Milwaukee way to, Way to beat a team that just played five games in seven nights. Good job, you know. Yeah, I'm I'm on board with Milwaukee being excited about a big win against the first place team. But Giannis, man, you're you're the back-to-back MVP, and they literally sat you out for an extended period of time in the second half so that you would come in rested against some really tired legs of the Sixers, and that's the only reason you were able to be like finally be effective in the latter part of the game. I don't know, like act like you've been there before, I guess, a little bit, Mr. Backpack MVP. No, yeah, definitely. I mean, one weird thing about the Sixers, like, I mean, I think part of it is just that teams, weirdly, the last week have been missing wide open threes, both the Sixers and the teams they played. But that was that back to back with the Knicks and Bucks. Like, how often are you going to find two just absolute rock fights like that in the <laughs> NBA where back to back nights, neither team, like, you know, like it's like we decided to watch the OKC Thunder for a little bit, except they're a little better. Because that's how most of the Thunder's games go. Like they're always like high 90s by the end of the game. They sometimes pull out wins. I mean, the Sixers probably a little bit better than that still. But I just find it interesting. Like at least we've gotten to the point. I mean, we joked about it all the time early in the season, Sean, about our flow charts with uh, if Joel Embiid plays, they will win. If not, they'll lose. Like. We've at least gotten past that point where we think, you know, if Joel Embiid's playing, the rest of the guys in the team are good enough that they have a chance. It's obviously not the team that we are all have all talked ourselves into as contenders without Joel Embiid. But like, you know, you look around the team, you know, as long as Seth and Danny are hitting shots, they get respect from defense. Ben, while not having, I mean, a lot of people ragged on Ben last night. I understand it was rough for him, but like that, a team like Milwaukee that packs the paint as much as they do that has. Brooke Lopez and Giannis on the interior is always going to be a tough matchup for him. I still thought he was fine. And defensively, Ben's a monster. Um, we have we now not only have a good backup center in Dwight Howard, but we apparently Tony Bradley, like as long as the guys like I mean, I thought Tony Bradley struggled against Nerland's Noel because Nerland's a little too quick for him. But you've put another plotter out there like Brooke and Tony Bradley can hold his own. You I mean Furcon's hitting shots so he can play. It's been a real rough week for Mike Scott, but still not a disaster. You just look around the team and you think, you know, we kind of built it's it's so weird after like trying to talk yourself into maybe the Sixers are good, but always saying, oh, I don't really know if they're that good. You look at the team now, it's like, yeah, I just think they're good. Yeah, I think the, the, the big thing, the big takeaway for me, at least from that game and sort of like the entire last two or three weeks in general is the defense like uh, you know there are going to be games where mike scott goes over five on super makeable threes there are going to be games where shake milton gets in his head and you know can't function in a half court offense all that stuff is going to come and go but the fact that they've, they've they've held teams i think the last five or six games under 110 points and a bunch under 100 and a cut and you know this one would have looked like that too if it, if it wasn't for the overtime period 
uh, that's that's the stable thing to me. That's the thing that the team's going to kind of rely on uh, as their identity, both down the stretch and in the postseason. And for that to be really consistent uh, the last few weeks, maybe even longer, like that, that that's really encouraging to me. And and the fact that they were able to hold Milwaukee to 31 points. I mean, I, I was I was kind of proud of us, like the, the Sixers Twitter verse in general, because you know we were up 14, we held Milwaukee at 31 in the first half, and like most of the reactions I saw at halftime were like, yeah, it feels like a loss. Because it's true, like we, we kind of had to be up 20-25 after that absolute shit show of the first half, uh, especially from Milwaukee's perspective. Like it really felt like they were going to come back, and it really felt like uh, it, it was going to be a, a pretty pretty brutal fight down the stretch. And it was, and you know, it was, it was basically a coin flip at the end. But the fact that we were in that game at all is just a, a testament to the defense and how locked in everybody is on this team right now. There, there really aren't any super weak spots where like, oh, that guy's going to get picked on, or that that guy's going to miss rotations, that guy's going to and really kind of compromise what we're doing. It seems like everybody one through 10 is sort of playing out of their minds right now on defense. And that that's the, that's the hallmark of a championship team to me. Yeah. The, the defensive aspect is something that's super encouraging. I think they were, they're second in the league in defensive rating right now. And even the guys that we kind of identified as potential weak spots in, within the overall scheme have, have looked a lot better than expected this season. Like you got Corkmoss is a pretty passable defender now when, we were all worried he wouldn't be like he, he could get the JJ Redick kind of treatment in playoffs where if you threw him in a game, they would just hunt him every possession. We're not really that worried about that anymore. Shake has really come around. He's, he's been pretty solid on that end of the floor. I know in training camp, doc rivers told shake if he was going to be on the floor, it would have to be because his defense was not going to hurt the team and shake, you know, stepped up and accepted that challenge. And he's been good in that, that area. Um, and yeah, if so if you have a situation where Joel's out and your scoring is obviously going to take a dip when you got the guy who scores 30 points a game not on the floor, uh, you can still find yourself in a lot of games if the rotations are crisp and you you work within the scheme and everyone knows what they're doing and there's no glaring weak points and you still have Defensive Player of the Year in Ben Simmons and uh, Defensive Player of the Year on a permanent basis in Matisse Seibel. So. Uh, yeah, every, everything's, you know, looking pretty good right now for the Sixers. Uh, just have to keep on plugging away. Yeah, what I like about the defense specifically, and I mean, this is also partially because Maxie's been out of the rotation, but except for Seth, every there is no small guy being put out there. And it's kind of like, when you think about the theory of how you need modern basketball, it's not that, <laughs> it's not that everything has to be small. Actually, what we kind of learned is that if you could get five guys who are in like the six, five to six, nine range, we're all wings. There's just a baseline level of defensive competence that comes with that because little guys can get attacked in the post. And that was JJ's problem is he's like six, two, six, three, we want to say. And what did the Celtics do? They said, Jalen Brown, just seal him up. You're just going to turn over at your shoulder. It's an easy bucket every time. Or if you get a slow footed big, which this is now the point where we mentioned Greg Monroe again, like a slow footed big will get killed in the modern media. They'll just point him out and say, Hey, we're going to run this guy like in a million pick and rolls, spread the floor. He can't keep up wings. It's kind of like, yeah, like Furcon's still a below average defender probably, but it's like teams just can't say, Hey, punish him inside. Like he's six, seven. He's like, you just can't do that. And he's not really guarding guys. You want to screen with a ton. So it's kind of like they have to think of more creative ways to attack him. And it's similar for a lot of guys. I've, and I also, I think that the only guys you could probably say you might be worried about at times are, I mean, Seth is probably the one guy where it's like, uh, he is, he is small. And I think 
teams don't really try and post up Seth more than they try and tell some like downhill drivers, hey, like if you just go straight at him, he will open his hips and let you through. Like he's not going to be a deterrent once you go at him. If you know what I'm saying, there's no body to body like blows with Seth. It's pretty much he's going to back down if you charge at him like that. And then I did note in the Bucks game last night, especially down the stretch, you know, we had planned to talk with you about how how weird the Sixers are. And of course, that has to start with Danny Green. Danny, obviously, like everyone says the things about his defense, how it's not always great, but he's in the right spots. Danny, like the Bucks were exchanging a lot. The Sixers were trying to, I don't think the Sixers wanted to switch, but they kind of had to at points because Danny Green was reacting so s- slowly to it. He's very slow getting around the pick and roll. I, I they, definitely noticed that. Chris Middleton and Dante DiVincenzo were just way too fast for him. Or, I mean, not, I mean, Chris, it was more Drew Holiday and Dante DiVincenzo, just way too fast for him. And the thing is, because it wasn't so apparent, like, Danny would have to then switch off to a guy when, and Ben, like, as there was one position, Ben was like, Danny, what are you doing? Like, I, because I think Danny switched onto Giannis when Ben was like, just because he couldn't get around, like, the two guys exchanging. And then it didn't directly lead to the bucket, but then it's like the ball gets swung around. And now, because everyone's out of position a little bit, there's more rotation that's made. The Bucks are a smart team. They're going to find that open guy. So that's probably the two things that concern me defensively is that, you know, just Danny's lack of speed and Seth still being the one guy on the team of on a team full of wings and mobile bigs where you're like, man, they really can't, there's no weak spot to attack. Seth is probably the one guy that teams look at saying we can probably take him on if we need to. And, you know, you look at the bucks and it's like with them, I mean, Giannis is Giannis. (laughs) Then Middleton, Holiday, and DiVincenzo, those are all taller wing-like players who you really can't attack. I mean, Drew – it's been a while since Drew Holiday was in a Sixers uniform. My goodness, that dude is just a wrecker on defense. He's a monster. Like, I mean, Dan – I think Seth Seth tried to dribble near him a few times, and it was just a mistake. Like, but um, – and that that's like the one thing you could probably expose in the Bucks is probably Brooke Lopez can't really move. If you have a guy who can shoot pull-up threes, he's – He's like too slow to guard them, but now the Bucks trading for PJ Tucker, like they're going to try and throw those lineups out there. So yeah, I mean, it's still this is all generally a good thing that the Sixers' problem went from being, oh man, there's all these defensive liabilities around the guys we trust on defense to, man, there's really only one or two things they could exploit. We could still fi- need it'd be good if we could figure out a way to touch that up. But yeah, I'm just saying there's things that are still present. But I like how they've constructed the team defensively in that sense. Yeah, and it, it's like a it's a much tougher team than I feel like it has been in past years. I mean, like that, that's a sort of, you know, talk radio thing to say and, and kind of a, a sort of a hard thing to, to, to prove in demonstrable data or anything, but I, I don't feel like anybody on the team is, is liable to getting kind of, I don't know, kind of getting bullied uh, in the half court. Like even Seth, I feel like holds his own pretty well for, for a smaller guy. Uh, and, and Tobias has, has turned into an absolute rock on defense and like he, he, I mean, he can't really guard Giannis because there's, you know, 10 people on the planet that can, but just about any other matchup for him doesn't seem like it's out of his depth at this point in terms of either speed or, or, or in terms of, of size and, and getting, getting back down to the post or anything like that. So it, it, it's, it's a T, you know, they, they, like you said, they do kind of suffer on the exchanges sometimes. Sometimes there's, there's communication errors and, and sometimes they can be kind of exposed in terms of the speed when, when they have some of their slower defenders out there. But it, it does seem like this is a sustainable thing to me. I mean, especially if, if Dwight can kind of cut down on the mental errors, which as he has been recently, I mean, he'll still get his like requisite out. Like, it's almost like he gets the offensive foul out of the way early. He's like, okay, now, now I can play my actual defense. 
they, should, that, they should just have him start a game, like slap some player in the head on the other team, like so it's already done with. Yeah, sure. Or, or like do the thing. Like you, you remember, like a, I don't know, this is like a decade ago when when, when Greg Popovich directed the oh, yeah, intentionally shall, foul Shaq at the beginning of the game. Like yeah, just 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 get the guy at half court and just kind of get out of the system. Uh, but aside from that, like there really aren't a lot of those mental errors that you kind of see on a, on a regular basis with the half court defense. And that it, it looks pretty special to me. I, I, I don't know why we haven't seen this really until now. If it's just a matter of some of the guys playing themselves into shape or kind of getting their legs under doc system or, or whatever it is. But the fact that they're able to maintain it even without their anchor the last couple games and and still like look a, like a pretty reasonable facsimile of what they were doing with Joel out there. That's really hard to do. And, and that that seems to me like the thing that's going to kind of define the team. Uh, from from here on out so uh, I, don't, I only hope that it's a, that it's not a mirage that's a real thing yeah i think in addition to the players themselves we probably need to throw a little more credit dan burke's way um that's you know all the uh stats for the pacers over the years when when he was there and everyone talked about what an impact would, he would make and then lo and behold the team that was supposed to be this bully ball defensive monster last year and was not that was not the case at all you know suddenly they are and uh obviously the players have improved and they deserve credit and but uh i think dan burke has has a lot to do with it as well so and you know up and down the staff i mean doc rivers gets talked about for his coaching job but also he assembled an incredible bench this year like sam Cassell working with the guards and you got jaeger and you know burke as i just mentioned like it's, it's a really good group um and i think we're we're seeing the the reward the uh the benefits of that with the team's play this year no you definitely have a point there like if i was just running through the coaches that we probably talk about the sixers most doc is obviously the voice of the team and he's proven as a coach not not much more to talk about there there was the one moment where ben hit the ben hit the hook shot i think to tie things late in the fourth quarter and Cassell immediately stood up and like hit him on the back as he was running down the court. Cassell is very clearly like, <laughs> he has a clear relationship with the players. They all trust him. You know, he's a player they probably all a good portion of them knew growing up. That and he's clearly seems like they all like him a lot. And like they, he's very into every game. Very like you can see Sam Cassell every game. You know where he is. Like Dan Burke, like you talked about, not only the Sixers doing better defensively. I I know a few friends who cover the Pacers. The Pacers have not been doing as well defensively this year. It feels like there's been, you know, like it's de- determining between correlation and causation with that is a tricky thing, but it feels like there's some significance to it. And then, I mean, Dave Yeager, like generally respected as a really good offensive coach and, you know, the numbers always show up. I mean, I mean, it's hard to judge if the Sixers offense is truly better or like, because we've debated this too before, Sean, where it's like, is it really just not more complicated than Joel Embiid was a good, very good player the year before. Then he turned into the best mid-range shooter in the world for like the th- first three months of the season. And, you know, like, is it exactly Brett Brown and his coaching staff's fault that they didn't have that? <laughs> like, I, I mean, that's just. It was bad coaching <laughs> by Brett to tell Joel not to make 60% of his mid-range jumpers. I Joel. mean, not to tell, to tell Joel not to turn it into 94 Hakeem. <laughs> exactly. Like, uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, yeah, Sam, I just wanted to say was in regard to Sam Cassell, this was a guy that invented the big balls dance. So he's not, he's not afraid to be demonstrative out on the court. And uh, we definitely, we definitely see that spirit. Who would so be most- if, if, if Simmons is one of Cassell's guys and vice versa, how much do you think it kills him that he only shoots with 10 seconds left in overtime in a game that's already <laughs> lost? 
Well, he now makes – he's made now two straight threes like that in games they've already lost where it just – and you could tell, like, as soon as it left his hands, I was like, that's going in. Like, <laughs> no chance it wasn't. It looks so pure. <laughs> like, no doubt about it. <laughs> Well, it, it kind of makes sense in the sense that, like, you, you feel like, you know, with, with Ben, it's mostly a mental block. There's really no other explanation at this point. It's just it's just that he'll only shoot when there are no other options. So when, you know, down more than three in overtime with less than 10 seconds to go, that, that's a pretty, it's a pretty clear definition. It's about as clear a, a path to no other options. You have to shoot the ball that you're going to get in the NBA. So you just, it just kind of takes him out of his head and just shoots it. It's, it's, it's uh, we got to got to find a way to replicate that exact circumstance in game action that actually matters, and, and then maybe we'll be onto something with Ben. Exactly, it's an it's a no pressure situation, yeah. and he makes them in warmups again. Like it's a no pressure situation, so yeah, just uh, I don't know, maybe some hypnosis. I don't know. There's there's got to be something to uh, get around this mental block for him. If you had to rank the Sixers most likely to pull out the Sam Cassell dance in a game after hitting a shot, like just off the top of my head. Ben would never do it. No. no. Seth would never do it. Danny would never do it. Matisse, no. Shake, no. I think the first four candidates I think of are, are Joel, I could see doing it. I could see Tobias doing it, maybe. Tobias against the Knicks and Julius Randle screaming, yeah, I, I am an all-star and doing the, the big balls dance. Sure. I, I could see Dwight doing it if he keeps oh, yeah. jump shot. Sure. And I could see Furkan doing it. Because Furkan, as we saw last Fur. I think I tweeted out, I want to see Furkan and Alexei Pokashevsky play a one-on-one game because they will take step-back threes over each other. Both, both are so – I mean, it is cool. It's just like, man, Furkan is so weird, but he just – that dude has never stopped believing in himself. Uh, definitely Dwight number one, though. Uh, that, that, yeah. That's like, like – yeah. I mean, Dwight will use any excuse to do a dance and and certainly with Cassell on, on the, on the yeah. staff. Like, and, and like – do you think that that now that he's hit a couple of them, that the, the mid-range jumper and, and drifting out to the three-point, is that going to be like a permanent part of his game now? I don't think about the threes, but like, I got to be honest, like when he shoots from 17 feet, it looks okay. good. It yeah. looks good when it leaves his hand. Like that form is not broken. He, it, it doesn't look bad. And I'm like, ah, if it's running down late in the shot clock and like, it's the one option, I'm like, sure. Like run a quick pick and pop. Like, I mean, it was a state of the offense that Furcon and Dwight pick and pops was a large part of the offense last <laughs> night. But um, that like, was our overtime crunch time <laughs> offense. Was was those two uh, interchanging long jumpers? Which yep. is reason number you know thirty seven why it's hilarious that the Bucks acted like they were winning Game Seven of the Eastern Conference Finals in this, uh, <laughs> this matchup. Exactly. Yeah, but- yeah. I, I have to throw Dwight number one as well because not only does he you know, have, have the, the spirit to do that sort of thing, but he also has zero chill. Like he's, he's not worried about looking cool. Uh, and we've seen time and again, like people kind of say, Oh, that guy's kind of, kind of goofy, kind of, kind of lame a little bit in certain circumstances. This is a guy that like routinely made fart jokes and teammates were like, dude, Dwight, what are you doing? Like cut it out. Um, so yeah, he, he would definitely not be afraid to do something like that. Yeah, and that that personality of Dwight, I mean, it's needed for a team like this that had such a miserable season last year, kind of like that injection of joy. There are other times, like, the rumors were that the 08 Olympics team kind of hated him because he wouldn't take it seriously. You know, like, there's certain times when you need certain things, but, uh, uh, like, famously or infamously, Kobe was not a huge fan of Dwight's antics. 
all the time, but you know, we, those two guys could not be more different. <laughs> late, late, late career Dwight after LeBron and the Lakers straighten him out. Like again, the best backup Sixer center since. I mean, you guys are older than me. You guys, you guys have a good like best. No, I got nothing for you on that one. But, but my my question about Dwight is is where did the hands come from? Like if, for the first two and a half, three months of the season, you couldn't put the ball anywhere in his vicinity and rely on him to catch it, let alone catch it and then do something with it. But like now he's, he's both catching and throwing alley-oops. He's like working the pick and roll pretty well. Like he's got kind of a finesse to his game now. Like how do you like round into hand shape over the course of a season? I've never seen anything like it before. I mean, it's definitely is weird that he had a stretch, but the thing is like, at least with Dwight, I know that he like in the past, that has not been a problem with Dwight's Dwight's problem was that he liked posting up and he had zero touch on hook shots. So he would throw up a million jump hooks every game that like, as a guy who played undersized center in high school and loved jump hooks, <laughs> I was like offended watching him doing that. But like, no, he, no, that was always Dwight's problem. Like this isn't like a Bismack beyond thing where, you just know it's been the whole thing of business careers. Like, you know, he actually kind of knows what he's doing and gets there on defense. He's, he's pretty athletic. It's like, it's like his hands might as well just be like, I don't know, like stones, like, or like literals. He might just hold scissors while he plays. Like he's not <laughs> going to catch the ball. Like so, what JJ Watt would use if he had a broken hand and they wrapped yeah. it up in a six inches of cast exactly. to play defensive line. Like, yeah, this, you might as well just have Bismack. Like, so I at least would just say like, it doesn't make sense what happened with Dwight. But I think it makes sense that it's not a problem now because it's like, it's yeah, this has not been the thing. The rub against Dwight has never been that, oh, he can't catch lobs that well. Like, it was just a weird thing that was happening, which, I mean, that's probably a good transition. The main reason I wanted to get you on here, you wrote a great piece a while back about Seth Curry and Danny Green and how getting them in, it's been such a great fit for the Sixers, obviously. And they aren't like, they're normal in the sense that their shooting fit is perfect for the team, but they are still very weird. And that's something like you kind of wonder if it's a thing with your own fan base, the team you root for, like, are we, does every fan base think this way? Or is it just us who are like, Oh, our team's so weird, but that's we turn them this way ourselves. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, we wanted to talk about the Sixers players and basically just how weird they are. And I thought the only way to do it is kind of go through the rotation and decide who is the weirdest. And maybe the best way to start is go like from the guys who are the least weird and work forward and for those wondering the rotation i'm counting basically the starters and the usual bench of matisse shake uh dwight furcon mike scott and i'm gonna put in tyrese maxi because i think we've seen enough of him that like those are the 11 players i would say that really meant something to the sixers this season like the other guys like i love dakota matthias when he's here he wasn't here for very long isaiah joe's good in flashes hasn't been there long tony bradley's like a new thing like maybe we could include Tony Bradley if we want, but um, really that like getting it down to the guys who have done something for the Sixers in some way this year. And I think the pretty easy candidate for most normal ish player is Mike Scott. And it's not just because of the name it's because Mike Scott makes sense. He's a veteran forward who knows what he's doing at times doesn't make the best decisions, but generally it's like his value comes in the fact that he's tall and he can shoot like, I try and think about like when you're evaluating how weird they are, if you described it to a person who hadn't watched the Sixers, but kind of understood basketball, at least wasn't even a huge basketball fan, but like knew what the sport of basketball was. You just described it to them. They would say, Oh, he's tall and he can shoot. Not great. That's pretty much all he does, but that's who he is. Like that makes sense. 
Yeah, Mike Scott's a coherent player. He, he doesn't do a lot of things on the court that you would go like, oh, I can't believe Mike Scott just did that. Like Mike Scott is going to do what Mike Scott is going to do. Uh, you know, occasionally he'll go into the stands and take drinks out of, you know, the, the, the hands of paying customers. <laughs> that, that's a little weird, but in terms of what he does between the lines, it's, it's pretty standard stuff. Yeah, we're talking about them as basketball players, not as yeah. not personal decisions. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was going to say, it's a little auspicious that your most normal was the guy who has once tr- drank alcohol during a game, inspired people to come and get B tattoos on their body in, in honor of him and also will randomly show up at uh, at weddings or not afraid to throw down in a uh, Eagles Redskins or Washington football team tailgate parking lot. And so, got, got, a, got half of a double technical during a timeout on the sidelines this year when he gave me one even playing. That's 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 got to go on the resume too. Exactly. Guys, guys, we're talking about the Sixers, not like the bland Pacers here. We knew this was going to be a little spicier. So uh, <laughs> Uh, other so then probably going down the list I don't know looking at who is maybe like who else would you say is like relatively normal compared to the rest of the players rotation I if we're including Tony Bradley's recent play I think Tony Bradley makes sense as he's a big guy who's a little too slow to play and but he generally has some post moves works hard out there like you had the moment last time when Doc was like calling him over and telling him what to do he seems like just a young slightly slow footed center who's strong enough and skilled enough that he can survive. But like after that, like who do you think is kind of normal? Cause I've started already. I get into guys who are weird. I would put, I would put Maxi and Matisse both kind of in the next tier of norm normality, normalcy, uh, just because they're, I mean, they're young, they're, they're, you know, rookie and second year guys, like they have flaws, but they're, they're not inexplicable flaws to me. They're not inexplicable quirks. Like, yeah, Maxi doesn't like taking threes and he, he occasionally kind of, you know, pumps and drives to nowhere, but like, that's kind of explicable. I've seen that before. I, I get what he's doing there. Uh, the, the, the floater is an unconventional shot, but it's not an unheard of shot. And it's actually like, weirdly mirrored by Emmanuel quickly. who's doing like the exact same stuff that he is right now, but just slightly more proficiently. Uh, and Matisse, like, like he's a weird player profile and that like a guy who gets more steals than he has field goals is, is a pretty big anomaly in today's NBA. But, uh, Generally speaking, like you know what you're going to get out of him, and he's very good at the things he's very good at, and he's very not good at the things he's very not good at, and that 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 to me is 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 relatively coherent. And I think you get a certain like exempt from overall weirdness just by being in your first couple of years in the league. I, I agree with all the names that have been mentioned. Uh, yeah, Bradley. If just real quickly, he kind of reminds me of the generic create a player in franchise mode when you, when you need someone to come and fill in after you've played for a few years and your roster's barren he's like hey here's the generic center that is is, is entering the fold the, um, the replacement player and value of a replacement player basically Again, exactly still better than greg monroe still better than many yeah, no, I, we I, like tony bradley now. i know i yeah i'm not saying this as a shot at him at all like knows knows what he can do goes out and does it doesn't hurt you trying to do things that he shouldn't like that's what you want out of your third string center like all power to him um yeah in regard to maxim tease maxi the only weird thing is that he has mastered the floater which is honestly like one of the hardest shots in basketball but he doesn't have the hit and open three-pointer down uh so that's kind of weird but otherwise yeah pretty pretty standard player um matisse as au just kind of flushed out yeah it's weird that a guy is arguably one of the top 10 best defensive players in the game but sometimes doesn't look like he wants to dribble in the open court uh that's very weird but we've seen a three and d mold in in 
in the Thibault kind of, you know, what Matisse is. We've seen that before. He has an archetype. Um, the, the other guy, the, the next guy I would say is Tobias. Um, I feel like Tobias's game is pretty normal. Like, he's a good shooter. He can do everything pretty well, and he's getting better at a lot of things. Uh, a little slow. The, the forward that's a little slow, kind of a tweener, and good not great defensively like doesn't doesn't really do anything too weird out on the court in my opinion um i, I would throw him in, into the kind of next tier if you want so i don't know what your guys thoughts are on i will i will first say i agree with you guys on maxi like is again short guy who is very quick a lot of his like benefits come from the fact that he is ridiculously quick and that he has some good touch and ball skills but really is limited by just being short and the fact that he doesn't really have a shot yet. Like it makes sense. I would push back a little on Matisse. Cause I think again, explaining him, it's like, okay, so there's this guy who his entire value is basically on one end of the court. And it's that he ducks behind these screens. And when guys will come up, he jumps from behind and like scares the crap out of them. Cause the, like there was a, I was watching back the Spurs game. So the Spurs, like, there was one play where Patty Mills tried to come up for a pull-up jump shot off a pick-and-roll. Matisse, like, did the thing where it's, like, if you were shooting in the lowest ceiling gym on earth where he just puts the, the his hands right over top of the shot and slots it down. And then another time, like, Lonnie Walker peeled off a screen, and he, like, just because Matisse knew Matisse was chasing behind him, he rushed a floater that missed horribly, whereas he had been, like, making that against other defenders all night. because he knew, like, there's this dude chasing me who – has really long arms and is quicker than everyone thinks getting off the ground. And it's just really weird to see like his entire value is he's just going to rack up steals and blocks in a quick amount of time. Cause however long your arms think, however long you think his arms are, they're longer. However quick you think he is, he's quicker. And he just comes up on you like that. So I think that's pretty weird, just generally speaking. Yeah, and it's also fair to say that, like, I think you might be right. We might be undervaluing his weirdness a little bit, just in terms of the like explaining him to somebody who's not a Sixers fan thing. If, if you explained that this guy, as a rookie, was like doing historic things and putting up numbers that no other rookie and, and in some cases no other player had ever quite put up before, and you'd be like, oh wow, like you must be like, like this guy must be like one of the linchpins of your future. You must be like one of like your core pieces. And you're like, no, you're throwing him in trades for you know Chris Paul and Kyle Lowry and stuff like that. Like he, he's the, the fact that he's that good, he's like that elite already on one end of the ball and is still kind of a fringe player on the rotation a lot of times, that is pretty unusual. Like, I, like you know, yeah, he's crazy. Like, I, I'm pretty sure I could beat him in a three-point contest. <laughs> Give me a good day. Like, but, um, and then you went on to Tobias. I would agree that Tobias generally, like, like you guys have mentioned, we've hinted at it. Like the big thing about Tobias, I still love to just talk about all the time is how strong he is and like how it's so much a part of the six day. That dude just is so he is so muscly moving guys out. They just are bouncing off of him. And I love the late game strategy of if the other team does not have a big forward, cause the Sixers already played Ben Simmons, Joe, like the jazz. It's like, yeah, Royce O'Neal. I love him to death. He's six, four. If Tobias just backs him down, he's too small for him. And I do think that's generally just the thing is Tobias is a big forward with skills. Now he does some weird things that like I've mentioned for like my whole one handed dunk thing that didn't age well, or the left hand or how he only, only uses left. I mean, or he would never use his left, which I still, Tobias does not love using his left hand. He likes to drive left and shoot shoot while fading left, like with his right hand, which is kind of weird. Like it's not a super normal player, but like like you're saying, just he's a good player because he has size, strength, and good shooting touch. All makes sense. 
And I would probably say going on from that, if we're going to like next normal guy, I know you wrote about how Seth Curry's really weird at you, but I still think he's like, I don't think he's super weird. Like there are some weird things he does, but generally it's elite, elite shooter who's limited because he has a slower release and it's not like super physically blessed. So it's kind of like for an NBA player is what I'm saying. Like, it's just hard for him to get him off. Like, I don't know if you saw that thing where they interviewed Del Curry where saying like Seth thinks he's a better shooter than Steph, but Steph just gets more shots. And I almost, I was like, <laughs> I just kind of thought to myself, my guy, the reason you don't get more shots isn't because we don't want you to have more shots. It's that you pass up shots sometimes. And also more importantly, Steph is quicker than you, has a better handle than you, and shoots off of movement better than you, which is, guess what? All makes it easier to be, and has deeper range. Like, Steph does those other things. Like, yes, you could maybe beat, if it was an open gym and you were shooting against him, you probably could beat him in a shoot-off. I don't know. You guys are incredible shooters. But, like, it's not that your lack of opportunity is what's keeping you from getting shots in the Sixers, that it's the reason this is Seth's first team he's starting for on a consistent basis. He is physically limited and his shot form is kind of slow like his shot it takes a little bit of time so it's harder to get shots off teams don't want him to shoot yeah but but i mean when we're talking about kind of doing the elevator pitch on these guys to like non-sixers fans mm-hmm. the, the guy with the greatest or second greatest three-point percentage of all time going into the season it's one of the two it's it's up there and i know that the bigger thing is that and this is again back to the whole volume of shots thing i think seth partner had said he might have dropped even a time of the season but before that Seth Curry was like the greatest of the tracking era, the greatest wide open three point shooter of okay. all time. Like he just doesn't miss wide open threes, but it's like he misses contested ones and it's hard for him to get them wide open because. But, but, but again, like greatest three point shooter of all time doesn't seem to like shooting that much. Like it, it seems to me that like it's because there are times where he gets it and you're right. Like, you know, it, it takes a minute. He gets closed out on quickly. He's an undersized guy. That's all true. But there are times when there's not another defender in the vicinity and he'll just see a guy lunging at him from 10 feet away. And he'll think, yeah, better not. Like, like he will use any excuse, or at least not so much the last couple of games. But before that, it seemed like he was using any excuse to not shoot threes. It was like, okay, this is what I do, but it's not who I am. What I am is, uh, you know, to pick and roll, kind of, you know, get, get, get the lunging defender on a pump fake and then drive in and take an 18 footer, maybe hand it off to the guy rolling to the rim, maybe drive past the help defender and get a, and get a nice uh, layup at the rim, whatever. But like shooting is not the thing that defines me as a player, even though it really is quite literally the thing that defines him as a player. Uh, I, I, I still can't quite get used to it. Although it, it, again, it does seem like somebody got in his ear the last two games. It has been a different guy. He's pulling up from you know 25 to 30 range. And like, he's, he's taking, shots that aren't necessarily great shots but the shots that we need him to take especially with, with no joel and that's I, I love that like it makes me so happy to see him pull up from from like deep in the wing even when he misses like that's great i wish he would do that all the time but like and and, and the thing that's really weird about him is that i think he is a better player like i i, I the, the rep on seth curry was always okay yeah he's, he's a good shooter but he the rest of his game isn't quite refined enough and he's not he's not big enough he's not enough of a defender he can't get consistent minutes. To me, he's been better at everything else than I expected. He's been a better secondary playmaker. He's been better getting to the rim. He's been a better defender. He's been a better kind of team operator on both ends of the ball than I expected. Every facet of his game has impressed me, except the fact that he won't fucking shoot. That drives me nuts. Like it, It's so crazy that this guy whose calling card is being one of the greatest three-point shooters of all time, and we have to yell at him to shoot the ball when he's wide open. That, that, that makes him top three on this list to me. 
it's it's an interesting argument. Uh, I I kind of I side more with Daniel. I think yes. that. All right. <laughs> uh, I guess I'm the judge on this one. Uh, yeah, I think he. I agree. It's weird that he doesn't shoot more, but I don't think not like being hesitant to shoot as a good shooter is in it of itself weird enough to overcome the rest of his game being oh this makes sense we've seen this kind of player there's nothing else weird about his game i like we we talked about matisse and you guys kind of uh daniel kind of convinced me to move matisse up although i will say i think that matisse as a rookie is a lot weirder than the current version of matisse i'll I'll give you that i'll give you that Matisse is now he's hitting shots kind of regularly. He looks a little more comfortable with the ball in his hand. So I think he's evolving into more of the traditional three and D albeit much better than when we say three and D guy Matisse is far and away. Like he's an elite defender and that's not, you you don't typically say a three and D guy. You don't give that label to somebody who's maybe a top five defender in the league on the perimeter. Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, yes, I think Seth is—he's okay around this area. He does have this this weird tendency to not shoot, but that's about it. Um, so I, I think I think this kind think, of area is, is right for him. I think this is the two of you being poisoned by two by by you know decades of Sixers fandom, where you, you always kind of expect that they're going to come to the team and just not want to shoot that much. Like that's just, that's just sort of part <laughs> of the course at this point. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously, hidden fees—we don't have them. Annual contracts. Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right, $25 a month every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just visible. Switch today at visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see visible.com. Oh, man. <laughs> there, there were there were years where Hollis Thompson was the only guy who could make an outside shot on this team. So I, I, I I've seen the 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 depths of non-shooting ability in a Philadelphia uniform, and and Seth is nowhere near there. So uh, I feel good about his his spot here. Um, I want to throw Shake out here as as the next we name to kind of like I feel his game's kind of. It's interesting in that he kind of lives in the mid-range kind of squirm in between defenders and throw up his little scoop shots and his little floaters, which is all, it's kind of unique. And it he gives the, the team a different wrinkle. Um, but, you know, we've seen those guys before and I don't think it's too weird in and of itself. I just think it's like a, a helpful differentiator for him in his offensive game. And then the, the, other than that, there's, I don't think there's really too much weird about him. Uh, I, I would, ha- I would have him much higher. I mean, well, maybe not much because of this, this, this team is, is pretty stacked towards the top in this, in this respect, but he's having a really, really strange season, man. Like, I mean, the, the, considering how, how improved he looked at the beginning uh, in all, all areas of his game, defense, uh, driving, finishing around the rim and, 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 you know, kind of working in the mid range game, the shot was a little wonky at first, but even that we were like, okay, well, that'll come up. That's not come up. And then the, the rest of it, it's kind of got like, 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 like he looks, he's played sometimes like he's kind of gotten shocked with, with an electrical current that's just sort of running through his body. Like it's, it's, he, 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 he just plays like he, he, he's, he's, he's constantly like 
just 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 emanating like nerves and, and weirdness and and like Every, everyone on sixers twitter says they just want to hug shake because he looks mad all the time well, he's an angry young man now and he didn't <laughs> used to be this wasn't the shake of old he looked like he could cry an egg on his forehead half the time and he's always barking at the refs and about the no calls he's getting and he, he isn't getting calls which is sort of a strange thing but i feel like he's hurting his own case at a certain point just barking all the time and, and kind of getting the refs uh, you know not not wanting to really bail him out but the, the, the sort of like, like negative energy that he's bringing to the contest now, it, it's really strange to me considering this was not the guy he was the first two seasons. The first two seasons, he was, okay, he'll hit a shot if he's open. If not, he pump fakes, goes to the rim. Sometimes he finishes, sometimes he doesn't. He, he was a pretty good contested like jump shooter, but it, it, all facets of his, of, his, of his game feel like they've been kind of turned upside down to me. Like, he, the things he used to be good at he's not that good at anymore and the things that he wasn't good at now they're actually kind of actually kind of strengths like he, he's he's turned into a, like a, a decent defender he is kind of tough getting into the basket now but like it's like he changed his body type and he changed his mentality along with it and, and now i don't know what to expect from him in any given night like he's, he's sort of the anti-mike scott in that sense where like okay like you know what i mean you might not know how many shots mike scott's gonna make on a given night but you know what he's gonna take you know what they're gonna look like shake anything is on the table on a given night with that guy. Like he, he could go one for 12. He could, he could go eight for nine and have, you know, four threes. He, he could, he could, you know, be beautiful working out of the pick and roll with Dwight Howard, or he could turn the ball over a half dozen times. Like it, it's, 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 he, he's probably the least predictable guy on the team right now. And yeah, like, like you, you just kind of want him to like, just, just chill out, shake, like, just, just, just take a week off if you need to like listen to some pure moods. Maybe. I don't, I don't know. Like get your head right. But like this, this guy, I, I don't know. I don't know what his deal is this season. So I'll defend Shake here because I've always, I mean, I've always loved Shake. I wrote the whole big breakdown on him and how he's developed as a finisher through college, always showing like how he's just, he has an understanding of space and he's kind of like pretty much like, I've always appreciated how Shake can finish well with his left hand, which a lot of young guards, like they just can't do that as well. And he's always been really good at it. I do think a lot was asked of Shake in terms of, because Doc is notorious for playing those all bench lineups. And some of those lineups, it's like, Hey, Shake, here are four guys who can't dribble. Good luck. Like, you you have to make things go now. And we've also seen that consistently the Sixers' best lineup by net rating this season has been the one where it's Shake, you put Shake in for Danny Green with the four starters. And now Shake shares ball handling duties with Tobias, Ben Simmons, and Seth Curry. And it's like, oh, and then that lineup's not like, that lineup isn't just doing good in limited in like limited possessions. That lineup is killing teams like that they just can't handle it. So I, I would just say like at least so, so first like talking about Shake season like it's very clear the Sixers are asking him to try and keep the bench up like as a young guy with all these veterans in front of him, but he he might have the talent level at least to play with like some of those, or at least he's he at least like clearly works better with those better play it may i mean makes sense that's a normal thing like I, 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 can buy, play better. I can buy all of that that that, that all makes sense to me and I, I do wish that would play more with the starters and then closing units and stuff like that doesn't explain why he shoots the ball like it's a medicine ball now like that, i mean that, that, that that's not even my thing like they, they're saying that on the rookie but like it, it looks so heavy coming out of his hands and, it, and it, you never I think he's always had a kind of flat arc because he does look like weird he's always done that weird two-handed like his left hand stays on the ball for a while yeah. as he shoots it's kind of it's always out in front of him it's one of those things probably that felt from being a skinny guy who's had the ball in your hands a lot like generally like like sometimes skinnier dudes you just have to like put a little more force into the ball to get it up there it's like just a little bit of a thing i like 
Like, that's what I'm wondering. Does it actually look different or is it just not going in as much? It's a fair question, but like, it does seem like it kind of compounds on itself when he's going weird in the first place. Like there was that, uh, I don't know, that one overtime possession. I can't even remember exactly what happened, but it ended up with Shake kind of getting that, that, doing that sort of like electrocuted dribble around the paint and like pulling up for a, a 12 footer that missed the rim by a foot. Like it, it seems like once he misses the first one badly, it's tough for him to get himself right again. Uh, though he did, he did have the big shot at the end, at the, you know, that, that cut the lead from seven to four at the end of regulation. So give him points for that one. But uh, it, it's, it seems like there, there is some sort of, maybe he's not really in the space yet to, to handle the second unit responsibilities. And then when, when things start going haywire, he just starts blaming on the refs and, and kind of getting in his own head. But it, it, the fact that there's this much to kind of delve into with the shake Milton experience leads me to believe that we're ranking him too low on this list to put him here. I don't know. I'm looking at the names we have left, and I I can't see anyone I would slot Shake above. Yeah, oh. I, I agree. With that. Like, cause so the four we have left right here are, if I have it right, is Danny Green, Furkan Korkmaz, Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, and and Dwight uh, Howard. Oh, and Dwight Howard. Sorry, forgot that one. Uh, yeah, like okay, I might surprise you guys. The one guy I could see, like, if you wanted to talk me into Shake, might be weirder than him. And I just kind of thought about this, like. So Joel Embiid, he's obviously weird in the sense that guys don't usually do what he does. But like, again, if you're talking about the elevator pitch to non-Sixers fans, it's kind of like he's a superstar. <laughs> he, is, he is great at basically everything in basketball because that's and that's why this team is great, because he can hit these jump shots. He he draws a ton of fouls. He is he is a monstrous human being who if you stood next to him you're like wow i'm pretty sure this guy could like fold me in half if he wanted to he's that strong and yet he still doesn't sacrifice quickness like it, yeah like he's weird in the sense that a lot of superstar players are weird like because that's usually what makes them superstars it doesn't make any sense that anthony davis got a 10 inch growth spurt and is now a small ball wrecking super switchable five but like that's why he's incredible and helped win a title last year it doesn't make sense that LeBron's still good at 36, 37 years old, still this good. That's why LeBron is the first or second greatest player of all time when you talk about it. It doesn't make sense what Steph Curry does as a shooter. That's why Steph's the greatest shooter ever. Like, you, if you get Catch My Drift, it's like, yeah, he's incredible. That's basically – and he's like, there's nothing he's really that bad at because – and that's why we think he might win the MVP. And, the like, the one thing I would say – I don't know if it's even weird, but I, it's one thing I wanted to talk about that I really like about Joel because – it was during that Cavs game that they lost even, but he was content letting Garland and Sexton take all those floaters, which is something about Joel. I think what I like about Joel is he doesn't, he never fears any, like he never has any fear about how he thinks about basketball. He never is forced to give in those stereotypes of a big man. Like, like a lot of big men see guards sit over floaters. They step up because they don't want to, they feel embarrassed by it. Like, Oh, that little guard scored me. But when you step up, the floater's still an inefficient shot. You're just opening up more holes in the defense than the rotations and stuff. It's like the whole point of floaters, if you make enough of them, it tricks the big into coming up and then it opens up more efficient shots. I don't think Joel really cares about that. It's like similar on the offensive end where centers don't want to draw a ton of fouls. Like you want to don't want to be weak. You're like a strong guy. Joel's like, why wouldn't I draw fouls? Everyone says it's the most efficient shot on the court. People keep putting their hands on me. I'm going to draw fouls. We're going to win. And I think it's more of that wiring of like, Joel didn't get started basketball till late. They taught him these things instead of like programming all those certain basketball stereotypes into him when he was young. And now he's just kind of grown up to the point where it's like, yeah, I don't really care if that's how 
how big men are supposed to play as this is what a big man is supposed to do. This is what I know is the best way to do it. And I'm confident it's going to work. And I kind of love that about him, which again, I don't know if that's weird or more just beneficial, but like, yeah, that was basically my pitch for Joel is weird, obviously, because there's not many guys like him, but he makes sense in the feeling that he's just incredible. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. I, I think, I think if anything, he should be lower on this list, but uh, yeah, the, the, he, I think the, the only thing that I would say is kind of weird about him is the same thing that's weird with all the Sixers, which is that he doesn't really want to shoot that much. And or he doesn't want to shoot from three that much. I should say he's got really kind of makes sense. Cause he's the one guy where it's like, yeah, because he's, he's incredible at mid range and at the rim and drawing fouls too. Sure. But he's also shooting 40 plus from three mm-hmm. and he'll turn down open shots so he can kind of pump and drive to, to a contested 18 footer. And that, that in itself is not what it's not what you want to be what you wouldn't expect from a guy who's generally as cocky as Joel is. But again, that's endemic to the entire team, so you can kind of write that off to a certain extent. I, I, I would have, I would have Furcon at this point. Like, I, I think you guys are maybe overselling Furcon's weirdness a little bit. Give, give me, give me the pitch for why Furcon is is weirder <laughs> than Shake Milton. Daniel, that that's your guy. Yeah, you, you've run with I this think, one. <laughs> so Furcon for me was second most weird. Wow. I think Furcon is very strange, and I I do like it, but like, first of all, you talk about like Shake shoots a flat shot. Furcon, I mean, that thing is so far above his head. That is a line drive. I'm Shaquille O'Neal free throwing this towards the rim. Just, it's very weird. There's the whole thing, like, uh, Spike, Spike has talked about this a lot on the pod. He's fixed it some, but it was a legitimate thing that Furcon's feet might be too large. And it was <laughs> causing problems. He kept stepping on the out of bounds line. He looks when you look at Furcon, you think, oh, he's probably he and see like him play. Someone's like, oh, he's a shooter, but he's not too athletic. It's like not having these athletic moments to burst that game. But then he'll also unleash a dunk because, oh, yeah, Furcon can get up. We kind of forget about that. He looks kind of lost as he, he looks like he's dri- looking at the ball as he dribbles and he doesn't look like he knows exactly what he's doing, that he's really going to attack the defense, but then he'll just like, he'll keep going with it. He, the floaters are so weird. They, look weird as they come out of his hands it doesn't look natural and defensively like he, he and he makes some strange choices sometimes and that's kind of why i feel like Furkan's just like he just i just don't know what's going through his head is like the thing like i can kind of understand what other guys are thinking at times like i have no idea what Furkan's thinking throughout the course of the game the floater is very weird i mean you you know how i've, I've been an extensive cataloger of the floater over the years and it, it's it's a very strange thing and he's not just bad at it, but it's it's he's like like bottom ten in the league. It's also it. when he squares himself for pull up jumpers from like fifteen, he, it looks pretty good. Yeah, uh, but he also is like uh, we we we. You know, I was tweeting with some people last night about how he's like the worst seventy eight percent free throw shooter in the world, where you you never feel confident that those free throws are going in. And like when he went to the when he went to the line uh, up two against the Knicks with like ten seconds left, okay. there's like no chance he's going to make two of them. There just it just wasn't going to happen. Uh, so yeah, he, for, for a guy who's, again, who's calling card shooting, he's, he's very sort of untrustworthy with, with the, with the release. And, and yeah, when I saw the replays of the corner three to, to send the game to overtime last night, I was like, man, that shot went in. Like it, it, it did not look, uh, you know, picturesque by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, so I, I sort of see what you're saying there, but to me, Furcon is still a shooter that isn't quite skilled enough and isn't quite hot enough to kind of get consistent minutes or at least he hasn't been to his career up until this point it's a relatively recognizable player type to me like it's not like 
I've never seen this guy before. Who is this guy? What is he doing on the Sixers? It's like, okay, this, we, we've seen variations of this guy throughout. There's, there's not that much separating him and Hollis Thompson aside from the feet and, and the floater, I think. Hmm. Sean, you had class was fourth for me. Gotcha. Yeah, he, he, he was fourth for me. Um, the, the most mystifying aspect of his game is the feet and <laughs> how he still routine I, I i feel like i tweet this every single game like oh there's the customary cork moss stepped out of bounds because his, his feet are apparently a foot and a half wide and he we hasn't have, learned do where... we have official numbers on his shoe size <laughs> we need they need to release that we don't um i think they measure without shoes and i don't know if they <laughs> they do the, yeah they don't do the the, sh- the foot length i don't think at the combine maybe that could be something we could introduce um but yeah that miss, he's gonna have bob lanier size 24s he might he must be missing some brand opportunities here like he could be doing like local like big and tall men's sort of shoes <laughs> like especially when he had the bright the bright yellow like oh, that's that's a signature shoe if ever there was one mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, that's like that alone is easily like a top weirdest, top three weirdest thing about the Sixers like game experience to me. So that that vaults him up for me. Uh, the floater obviously is very weird, and as Daniel mentioned, the fact that he doesn't do super athletic things for a couple weeks at a time, and then he'll whip out like a top ten dunk of the year for the team, and it's like, oh yeah, this dude won a dunk contest wearing a Darth Vader mask. Um, and we just kind of all collectively forget about that for about a month. Uh, that's yeah, he's he's and just the fact that he's like this, he's the irrational confidence guy, and that inherently has a little weirdness. Just seeing your eighth or ninth man have maybe the most swag of anyone outside of Joel. Um, that there's a little weirdness to that. So he's fourth for me. Um, I feel I feel good about where slotting him there. Um, you guys might have talked me into Joel being a little lower. And I, I think it just comes down to, are we talking about the weirdness of the story and like the narrative That's or just the, the on-court play? Because Joel, Joel, the, the story is incredibly weird. Like guy who was going to play volleyball for the national team and then gets discovered at a camp just because they can see how athletic he is and had never really played. And now suddenly he could be the best player in the league in the most, in the, the highest level of the sport. Um, and he learned how to shoot from watching, in his words, white guys on YouTube. And he's he he got at, he he's analyzes he analyzes and dissects how to watch when guys are reaching in and do the rip through pull the pull through the rip move so that he can be the top free throw shooter in attempts in the league. Like there's a lot of weird things about how he approaches the game and. Uh, yeah, it his game itself is like, oh yeah, he's just really good at everything. But how he got there and how he kind of elevated different aspects of his game and different portions of his career—that's kind of weird to me. So I guess it's just how we're uh, we're qualifying this discussion for for where you want to slot Joel. No, that's definitely like I mean we didn't even mention he missed his first two year two first two years of his career of injury in which it was a legit concern that he drank too much Shirley temples and ate too many candy bars. Like that's, that doesn't seem normal for an NBA player, but uh, I think it's speaking of bad dietary habits. Let's talk about Dwight Howard. <laughs> yeah. So since we're down to three now, basically like we have some difference in the rankings, but I guess these are the three that we haven't talked about yet. 
I don't know if we want to like just unveil the top three rankings, like kind of go. So I'll just say mine, like, because I probably had Furcon at two. I waver between Dwight and Ben at three and four, but that's the thing is that I think unequivocally Danny Green is the weirdest player on this team. And I, I think, I think Danny Green is, he's still the most bizarre player on this team. And then AU's giving me a face that he doesn't agree. I I think Ben Simmons is the weirdest player in the NBA. Like, I, I don't think it's even a question. I mean, agreed. I, I, I don't think that I, I don't even know how far back you have to go in MB, the annals of NBA history to find a guy who's as paradoxical and enigmatic as Ben Simmons, but it, it's 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 a ways. Do I get to defend myself then on this and why of I would course. say? All right, talk. Yeah, you can be you can be the Danny Green discussion and lay out everything that's weird about Danny Green. Okay, well, we got we got to do Dwight first though. I mean, we we've got to escalate this, right? So, so Dwight's an Dwight's an easy at least three. Like no one has got, him above. You guys our... both say that Danny Green is weirder than Dwight. Yes. yes. Okay, so we'll just say, yeah, we'll do that. We'll talk about Dwight, because then it's Danny Green versus Ben Simmons for the top <laughs> spot. That's a good way to handle this. So, so yeah, Dwight. Again, I think I think like what you said with Joel, the story of Dwight plays into it, where dominant all defensive center who dragged a franchise that a lot of people, ton of people care about, past LeBron James and the Cavs to the finals, then like had a few weird years, almost won an MVP with six seed because he was so good. His coach talked about how much he didn't like him during an interview where he showed up, forced his way out to L.A. Everything that happens in L.A. happens. He's in three years of Houston, which they have some success, but again, clashes with the star on the team and is generally disliked. Bounces around to a ton of different, like he played for the, I'm trying to think just off the top of my head. Dwight played for the Hornets. Dwight played for the Hawks. Dwight played for the Wizards. Dwight got traded to the Nets, but never played for them. Like all these weird things. He Then he ends up, restoring his career with the Lakers as a just a backup center and energy guy this former superstar now he's doing the same thing with the Sixers and then the way he plays like you said it looks at times like he's just a typical like oh big body athletic guy because he was dropping passes he is just kind of physical out there he's a he's an enforcer quote unquote but like then you also see oh he can dribble like kind of okay or oh he still gets up for big dunks or he can, has huge blocks. He now, his shot is not completely broken. And when he sh- lets it go out of his hands, you don't feel like it's, it's like it uh, doesn't have a chance. He also commits more egregious fouls than you'll probably see in the NBA. Like it's very clear whenever he fouls someone. And then also there's the whole free throw thing where he backs up two whole feet behind the free throw line. Which <laughs> sometimes, I, sometimes it's a foot and a half. Sometimes it's half a foot. Like. I, I did that like once in a game where my shot was off and I kind of wanted to, cause I kind of liked shooting a little far. Like I can at least understand, but still it's weird to see an NBA player just consistently decide I will shoot from 16 and a half feet instead. But uh, yeah, very weird. Not as weird as Ben Simmons or Danny green, but very strange guy to, to, to me the thing is right, like if you're describing like the top two centers on the sixers to somebody else and you said okay one of them is this like very smart very like thinks the game at a high level is mostly likes to shoot out of the mid-range and kind of beat guys into fouls uh sometimes gets muscled on the boards but is generally like a very strong presence underneath and one guy is super athletic but it's always jumping and trying to block everything and you know makes a lot of mental errors gets a lot of offensive fouls uh but like just just jump out of the gym like always looks like super fit but by far like the best workout guy on the team uh which guy would you guess is like the 27 year old like future star and like face of the franchise and which one you got would you guess is like the guy who just came off the championship with the 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 lakers and is now like our veteran backup center 
like they've totally flipped the roles of what you would expect where like the raw guy who needs is badly in need of finesse is like our champ our championship veteran like backup stability guy and like the guy who thinks the game at the highest level and like is just always in control and is where he needs to be is the young guy in need of seasoning or mentoring or whatever like it's it's super strange that this is what we've ended up with i've never seen a guy in his 30s play the way or mid 30s mid to late 30s play the way dwight howard does uh it's 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 super weird to have this springboard guy who like gets called for goaltends and like and and just never seems to be in there. It's, it's, it's less so the last couple weeks has been playing more in control but the first couple of months. I just couldn't believe this is the guy we got like as our ring guy, as our guy to like kind of be like a calming veteran presence off the bench. And he's by far the least reliable guy on the team makes by far the most mental mistakes. Like it, it, it's just such a weird, I mean, especially coming off of Al Horford. It, it, it's it's such an <laughs> unbelievable 180 that like, I might, I might have like an oversized sense of just how weird a player Dwight is for that reason. Great, great points. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't look at the numbers, but I feel like since Dwight has been playing since he was a teenager, he probably has the most career games of anyone mm-hmm. on, on the Sixers at the NBA level. It's probably between him, or, him or Danny, I would guess. Um, and yeah, and at all the the points you just raised for a guy that probably leads the team as the most experienced player, it's incredibly weird. It's weird that. He's been in the league for over a decade and still looks mystified when refs call him for the moving screens that he gets every night. Like, how have you not figured out what a moving screen is by now, Dwight? Um, yeah, the, the free throw thing that Daniel talked about, the fact that during the t- period of time when there were no fans in the arena, Dwight was still gesturing to the crowd before every game. That's very weird. Uh, the, the fact that he considers himself this amazing three-point shooter now and just reacts as if he is Steph Curry after he hits a shot. It's delightful. I love it. It's also very weird. Um, yeah, just it's, it's, it's weird that, yeah, he, and I think Spike tweeted this uh, last night or, or maybe it was the next game, but every play that Dwight has, you're either incredibly delighted or incredibly frustrated. So for, uh, and I think that sums up the Dwight Howard experience very well. So that that's a weird player to me. That definitely leads the league in like emotions per 36 minutes. <laughs> yes. All exactly. stats, good and bad and just feelings. All right. So that's, that's Dwight. Daniel, why don't you make your case yeah, for uh, Danny Green as the weirdest player? It's time for the face off. Um, <laughs> so they're both obviously incredibly strange. Neither guy is normal for an NBA player. We'll just get it like, when we talk, when I'm trying to make a case for why it's Danny Green, it's not like if you had to rank like the top five weirdest players in the NBA, I think these two might both show up. They're both very strange. Um, like Ben Simmons, the, we know why he's weird. He won't shoot at all, basically, any jumpers. And it's like just hard to see a guy who has the ball in his hands a lot refuse to do that. I still think you could at least if you're just telling someone like, why is he good? It's because he can't like, it's the joke would be, Oh, I think I could beat Ben Simmons in a shootout. I could do this. He like, yeah, but it's like, why is he good? He's like, well, he's a six ten, Uber athlete who is built just like incre- incredibly strong, does not sacrifice any speed. Very quick. He's like one of the best pure athletes in the entire league. And you understand, Oh, 
even if he can't shoot, I can see. And then he also is a very good ball handler, a good passer. And those things are still very weird that he can combine all those things. And he still looks super. He looks very weird throwing up those random hooks, finishing more of his right than of his left. Not always dunking and wanting to try to slip. It's all weird. But you still understand why he's good. Because anyone who's that athletic and has an understanding of the game and has things they can do with the ball in their hands, like dribble and pass as well as Ben does, you understand, oh, that's why he's a great basketball player. That's why he helps his team win. Because there are not many people that are tall. There are not many people that are that fast, that strong, and that many people who can dribble and then pass like at that same level. It makes sense. Imagine trying to tell somebody why Danny Green is good. He... It's like, oh, well, so what does Danny Green do? So he's like, well, he's like a 3 and D guy. Oh, so he's like, just, you can't leave him open. It's like, well, he also is like his shooting percentages. He shot like 32% from three for two straight seasons. He's had also 48% three-point shooting seasons. It really fluctuates. Spurs fans gave him the nickname Icy Hawk because he was always like that. It was very streaky. And also he like short arms his release where it like looks like it's a T-Rex shooting a basketball. Just very, it looks weird when it comes out of his hands. So, and like also- some people think he misses a lot of shots a lot of times like oh well what about on defense like well yeah he's like he's very good he's in his right positions but he's also very slow and he gets too confident trying to step up on guys and they blow right by him then he'll also when it have been really weird spots jump at weird times does like kind of zone out at times like oh so like does he maybe do stuff with the ball and it's like no like if you tr- if he tried to dribble versus me or you we could probably rip him he the, as as a who wrote one time Danny Green plays the last two minutes of the game occasionally like his brain is on fire. It, it happens. And you see him try and make those dribbles and those passes. And it's like, dude, like he can't dribble like at all. He's he, it's a th- at the point where there's a running bit on Twitter for NBA Twitter, where Danny Green's name starts trending. Anytime he's has like an O for nine game because it's like, Oh, the shot's not falling. Oh, everything else looks bad. This is not going well. But then other times when it'll get super hot, like, he also has under his belt the 2013 finals where he was almost, he probably would have won finals MVP if the Spurs, you know, get that first rebound off of LeBron's miss instead of letting them kick it back out to Ray Allen. Like that's insane. And then you, it's like trying to explain, okay, so Danny Green's good because he's willing to take enough threes and makes them at just high enough percentage that it can hurt other teams. He can't dribble the ball like at all. And he also, he will, when he does try to, you get stuff like, that during the Knicks game, the first play of the Knicks game, he shot a layup that hit the top of the backboard or Giannis pressuring him in the corner. It looked like he was about to fall out of bounds because he's like, oh, I'm stuck. There's nothing I can do here. He tries that weird floater that just has like almost no chance of going in. But like his value is in that just having his, he's or like, you know, like the one thing, he's the goat transition defender, especially in his prime. He's always getting back, always stunting and peeling at the right times, always digging at the right times. That's a very weird thing to be your calling card. And then also a great thing to be the best out of all time. And then what is the Danny green cut? It's like, Oh, it's when there's a bunch of guys inside the paint. Danny green slowly is jogged down the court. His man, like, cause he's near the block. His man kind of zones up. Cause there's another, there's another attack happening right there. And Danny green hops out of bound jogs at like a, like a mom going on a power walk speed slowly rotates that strong side corner. And then by the time the teams realize, Oh, this man has just been walking out of bounds the whole time. He's filled to the strong side spot and it's an open corner three. And it's like, that's just so weird. And then he gets these random bouts of confidence where he tries to take those pull-up threes and transition. Like, as you guys have said, it's a horrible shot, but when it goes in, it's like, Oh, this is a win. If Danny Green's (laughs) making that shot, this is a win. Like, do you understand what I'm saying? Like you can, these are all, 
you explain to someone why Ben Simmons is good and they can understand it. It doesn't make sense to understand. That's why a lot of people wrongly think Danny Green is a scrub. Like that's a, there's probably, you asked a bunch of people my age and younger who, if Danny Green is good, they'd probably say no, but no, he is good. Just that like the weirdest things in basketball, he's somehow good enough to be a very, to have a very good NBA career over it. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing you haven't even mentioned yet is that he's won three championships with three yeah. different teams and might win a fourth this year. That's it, a weird thing, too. It is. Though, it absolutely is. And, like, for, for that guy to be the guy who is, like, you're take him out of the game late because he might make a mental mistake that costs you, like, a six-point lead in the final minute, like, that's that's very weird. Now, this, this is a great argument that you're making, and it's very persuasive. And it, you're right that the intricacies to it are a lot deeper than they are with Ben and that, like, you really need to kind of watch Danny Green on a nightly basis which I, I mean, you know, I, I'm familiar with Danny Green's career, but I, I certainly didn't know he was like this. And I, I, have, you, have you guys talked to like Laker fans or Spurs fans? And like, I've seen, I've seen Lakers fans, tw- like I've seen like Lakers fans. I felt legitimately bad for Danny after game five of the finals. Last year. Was tough. I, I still pertain to, yes, he missed the shot. What was worse was that Markeith Morris then threw a pass to the wrong side of the post. Mm-hmm. Out of bounds, which I thought I was surprised. How was Markeith not getting killed for that? But you know, Enough of that, but like, yeah, it's he's a very he. It's one of the most up and down experiences in the entire NBA sure. having Danny Green on your team. Well, no, I, I, you made a very good case for why Danny Green is the second weirdest guy on the circuit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm still. <laughs> that's the that's the thing. So that's what I was trying to get at is that like even even though you're right about all the things you're saying and you're right that like you could write a novel about Danny Green's weirdness, whereas Ben Simmons is more like a novella or a short story. But like, it doesn't change the fact that he's a superstar player that won't shoot the fucking ball. Like, like the, the, there's nothing that compares to it. There, there, there's precedent for Danny Green's weirdness. I'm sure if you go back into the annals of NBA history, you can find other guys. Like, you can you can find again. Ben has the ball a lot. You can find six ten dudes who don't shoot. Rudy Gobert, the NBA no. making all NBA teams. Rudy, no, not, Rudy, Go, Rudy Gobert will not take a jump shot. It's like they play different roles, obviously, but. What is the all-time list of six five dudes who can't dribble a basketball who are good? That's a. Is there a list? Well, it's as long as the list of point guards who who won't shoot anything more than a hook shot. Like, yeah, ben, I mean, he's a point guard, but he's also six ten. He's like a point forward in that sense. I mean, this is all true, but like we've seen him take these shots. He's not incapable of taking them. He's not incapable of making them. Like he, as you say, he makes them in warmups. He makes them at the end of of overtime. He makes them. Like when he gets the the ball swung to him, if you were watching a Sixers possession in a regular, you know, regular season Thursday night game against the the Cavaliers or whatever, Ben Simmons gets the ball swung to him in the corner, takes a wide open shot. You would think the shot was going in. Like you wouldn't, and you wouldn't necessarily think it was that weird if it did. Like he's not an un, he's not, he's, he's not an untenable shooter. He's not a, there's nothing about him. That makes you think, okay, this guy wouldn't shoot the ball, especially because he's he's the, the smuggest motherfucker on the planet. Like you 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 look at this guy and you listen to him talk and you think, okay, there is nothing this the guy does not believe himself capable of. This guy has never felt a shred of self-doubt in his entire career. He thinks he's better than everybody else. He thinks that he's more capable than everybody else. This guy is the exact model of the like the jock that you grew up with who just just doesn't even look at the people that are smaller than him. He just he just kind of walks through life never needing to, to like consider about the, about the, the opinions of people lesser than him or the, that, that there are people that, that can do what he does in the basketball court. Like this is just a guy who's just going to coast for the rest of his life on his God-given abilities. And he's never going to doubt any, anything about himself. 
and he won't shoot the ball. And, and what's more is not just that he won't shoot it, but that he makes a point of not shooting. It. I mean, like the weirdest thing of Ben Sims's career to me is that he had that incredible game against Cleveland last year. After the game, Brett Brown says, yeah, we want him shooting at least minimum one a game for the rest of the season. And, and then we think that's where he's going to be for the, for, from, from now on. And then he just doesn't shoot again until the entire league shuts down. Like he, it's like, he took that as a challenge to not shoot. And that he almost like, he, he was almost like, Oh yeah. Like you want me to shoot? Well, look at, look at how much I'm going to not shoot now. And again, like it's possible that it's just a sort of simple mental block and that like, there are things in my life too, where it's like, okay, you're going to do the thing. You want to do the thing. It's time for you to do the thing. And you get up to the time to do the thing and you just don't do the thing. I understand that conceptually, but I've never seen it on a basketball court at this scale. And I can only imagine what it must be like to coach him or play with him. Like the, the fact that this guy is capable of everything and he is capable of this one other thing that he won't do, but he refuses to do it under any circumstances, except the most abject objective. Like you have to do it because there's no other play for you to make right now. Circumstances. It must be maddening. Like it, it's, it's maddening just to watch him. It's maddening to, to talk about him with other NBA fans, with other Sixers fans. Like he's got to be the most polarizing athlete of our entire lifetime. Uh, there, there's no comparison for it. I mean, the, the comparison would be a, you know, a slugger that wouldn't swing or like a, a you know, a, a goalie that, that gets freaked out when anyone gets near the net. Like it, it's, 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 it's unprecedented. It's beyond explanation. And it makes this team weird, no matter who else is on it. Like that, that's the other thing is that you can sort of like nullify Danny Green's weirdness to a certain extent by just putting him with, with four other guys and know what they're doing. As long as Ben Simmons is on the six or the six are going to be a weird team. And there's no getting around that. I'll just, I'll, I'll throw a, super, a few supplements to uh, AU's very good and <laughs> uh, thorough breakdown of why Ben Simmons is clearly number one on the list. Um, a writer for a, a national publication postulated that he shot with the wrong hand. And now everyone kind of treats that as a credible thing that this guy who is considered one of the 20 best in the world at what he does does not do the fundamental okay. skill yeah. in in the game using I'll, the correct I'll, that, hand that one's a that's a fair jab kevin o'connor's <laughs> right hand theory is, is that is fair that that's a very that like the reason there's a reason it doesn't get laughed out of the room is like well uh, it, it kind of seems like he does use the wrong hand like, <laughs> so so there's that um there's the fact that every summer he will get in the gym and he'll throw up an Instagram post of him shooting a, a three in, in a scrimmage or a workout or whatever it is. And everyone in the world starts doing the, uh, the eyes emojis as if, as if this is the year. And Ben wants us to think it's the year. Otherwise, he wouldn't be putting that stuff out there. But then guess what? It's not the year. That's really weird. <laughs> if you're a guy that doesn't want to shoot threes, don't post that. What are you doing? <laughs> it's super weird. Um, and then... In in the games, he he does it once, and as as he said, uh, as you just uh, said, uh, Brett Brett makes his his statement in the post game, and then he he doesn't do it again. And why? He, it's it's such a weird thing that this guy who is already whatever twentieth best in the world in the top twenty, he could honestly be if he could do this one thing. You, you could say he would be the best. He would be the very best in the world if he could do this one thing that 90-some percent of the people in the sport can do. And we feel like he can do it because we see him do it in non-pressure situations. But he has this mental block where he's so like image conscious that he feels like there's a 15% chance 
that if he does shoot, it'll airball and everyone will laugh. And he can't possibly allow that to happen because of whatever mental thing he has going on that he just won't do it. And it's really weird. It's yeah, the weirdest thing. <laughs> you have con- like, it inspires you to have the weirdest conversations with other Sixer fans. Like, I, I'll just point yeah. out, you were the one who we inspired a conversation on how, to what degree is Danny's brain on fire. Well, this is true, but <laughs> again, like, like I was able to accept that about Danny pretty quickly. Like, it's like okay, like I, I he's gonna like turn the ball over twice in the last forty five minutes, forty five seconds against the Raptors. Like, that's fine. Like, whatever, it's Danny. But like. You just kind of you just kind of look for those minds when they're going to come, and you, you sort of mentally brace for them. And you, I, I feel like you can mitigate their damage a little bit. Like you, you get into these debates on on Twitter where people say like, "Okay, Ben Ben Simmons doesn't shoot now, but that's because he doesn't want to shoot until he's confident he can be a forty percent three point shooter, and that's when he'll start shooting threes." And it's like, what are you talking about? In what world do you get to just jump from being a nothing three point shooter to being a forty percent three point shooter without actually taking them on the court? Like, but 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 he just breaks people's brains. He, he renders people unable to have like, like intelligent conversations about basketball because the fundamental thing that he doesn't do is, is just so, it just, it just kind of jumbles the circuits of all other discussions of all other facets of his game until the point where you just kind of get into these screaming matches that you're not even sure what you're arguing at a certain point because it is, it's just so antithetical to the nature of basketball and of a superstar play in basketball that it, 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 it just, it just makes everything weird. Like, like I, 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 his weirdness just compounds all other weirdness and, 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 and makes the game of basketball fundamentally strange. Like there's, there's no, there's no comparison to it on the Sixers or any other team. Well, the, one- I, I, sorry, the, the only other player I think is even remotely like this is Russell Westbrook. He's the other sort of guy where as long as he's on your team, you're going to have a weird team. But e- even he is just, we've seen the overconfidence guy and the guy who doesn't quite know what he's good at and refuses to sand down the, the nastier parts of his game. We've seen that before. We have not seen Ben Simmons before. I, I, I can't imagine we'll see him again anytime soon. Well, the one thing we can all agree on is that once Paul Reed is for, permanently a part of the, <laughs> uh, the rotation, he is coming for that top spot. The, the same guy who tweeted that his excitement for the first game, then after the game tweeted, I'm going to have to get it out of the mud after he got DNP. Uh, and I mean, Paul, Paul Reed, hopefully he can get there because he will definitely be a part of this. Uh, hey, we've probably kept here for too long, but this was a fantastic conversation. Yeah, I mean, you guys persuaded me a little bit on Ben. I would still uh, – maybe you're right. Either way, I think it's closer than you think it is and how weird they're we, – the, it's very – the fact that we went this deep on pretty much every six, Sixers player except like Maxie and Mike Scott and Tony Bradley shows that how strange and wonderful this team is. Uh, where can the people find all your great stuff? Uh, well, I guess you can you can see me on Twitter at AU Get Off My Gold. Uh, by the way, like shout out to the, the the Sixers for now apparently making All Gold Everything by Trinidad James like their go to pregame <laughs> song. Very excited about that for a number of reasons. Uh, but yeah, you can ca- catch me there. Uh, I, I have my actual job is at at, uh, at, at Billboard.com. I write about music. I had other people writing about music. Do a lot of lists and uh, and the red red Ricky Sanchez, uh, their blog. The, the if not uh, pickle conveys two second rounder section and once every three months or so on the podcast. All right. Sounds great. Thank you so much for jumping on with us. Uh, Sean, Sixers take the Kings on on Saturday. You think that's a win? Yeah, uh, Joel's not playing, but I think we kind of threw the flow chart out the window. I say they get it done. <laughs> the Kings are in a bad state right now, so they, it better be a win. Yeah, <laughs> I, I say they do it. They, they'll, they'll be well rested. To- Toby will have his legs back under him. They get it done. 
It'll come down to a Danny Green floater for the game. All right. Great having you on, AU. Thank you all for listening. And, Sean, I will talk to you next week. See you. All right. Until next week, then. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com.